When I joined the church, I didn't know anyone. Volunteering has introduced me to different people. I don't feel alone. I look forward to coming to serve because I know I'll see people that I know and I care about. I think the idea of more campuses is an exciting one because we are a family that moved in and a new campus really met a need that we had. I think I'm excited about REACH. It just really has the chance of stretching a lot of folks' faith, our own included. And while that can be daunting, it's also exciting because I've seen it before and I see how it changes folks and has changed us. Christ Church, it's time to REACH. Good morning and welcome to uh, Christ Church. It's a big day, uh, not just because of all the interesting basketball that's been going on, not just because I looked at the uh, weather yesterday and decided I could put at least one of the snow shovels away. So uh, I may regret that, but you know, it is Chicago. It could, it could snow in April, but... Um, but it's big for other reasons, and uh, you don't always know when a day is important or significant. You know, I mean, you, you can't tell when you wake up and say, wow, today I'm going to meet someone who's going to be uh, a lifelong friend, or I'm going to meet someone who's going to become a business partner, or I'm going to meet the person I'm going to marry. You don't, you don't know that necessarily when you wake up. You don't know that you're going to get exposed to an idea that is going to really change the way you think for the next 30 years, but... Uh, there are days that change things. And we've talked in the context of the REACH initiative, we've talked about turning points, that there are these inflection moments in the life of a person or a family or a, a church or an institution or a country. There are these moments when you sort of hit a, uh, uh, a fork in the road, so to speak, and you go left or you go right and everything's different because you went left as opposed to right. And and so uh, I think that we are, we are coming into one of those, and I'm excited about that. And um, uh, I think that we're going to look back and say this was, this was a turning point for the church. So uh, to that end, I was, uh, this past summer, somebody said to me, you know, they were referencing, they go, you remember that great quote that, that was in um, the movie National Treasure? And I said, no, uh, didn't see that. And they go, oh my goodness, you didn't see National Treasure? They go, one of, the, one of the great actors, his words, not mine, one of the great actors of our age, Nicolas Cage, has got this incredible quote uh, in this movie. You got to see it. So I, I checked the movie out of the library and I went and, and uh, I, you know, rewound it many times and finally wrote this quote down. So in the movie, if you didn't see it, and spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you what happens, but don't go see it. It's not worth seeing, in my humble opinion. But in the movie, Nicolas Cage plays a character named Benjamin Gates, who is a treasure hunter and is convinced that there is, there is billions, if not trillions of dollars of gold that has been hidden and that there's clues on the Declaration of Independence. And so he spent his life trying to, to get to this. And so, uh, he, he uh, talks his way into a big gala event where they're celebrating the Declaration of Independence so that he can, uh, he can steal it eventually. But, 
uh, he's called upon to make a quote at this, at this party. And without missing a beat, uh, here's the quote. He says, uh, a toast, excuse me. He's called upon to make a toast. He says, to high treason. That's what this meant, um, these men were committing when they signed the Declaration of Independence. Had we lost the war, which seemed likely at the time, they would have been hanged, beheaded, drawn and quartered, quartered, and my personal favorite, would have had their entrails cut out and burned. So here's to the man who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right. So I, I, I don't think anybody thinks that the REACH initiative is wrong. I think some people think it's a little risky and a little bold. It's hard to be against saying we want to we want to reach out, we want to love people, we want to we want to do more to care for the poor, we want to do more to promote the gospel, we want to do more to help other churches. I don't think anybody's I don't think you can line up against those things. So I'm not certain that the quote perfectly fits, but it does capture that there are Moments where you have to step forward, and it's hard to imagine what the world would have been like had uh, the founding fathers not signed the Declaration of Independence, right? It, it, I mean, forget that we're driving on the left-hand side of the road and we're stopping at 4 o'clock every day for tea. I mean, you know, we're living under a constitutional monarchy. It's just a, what would the world be like without the American experiment? Uh, so we're glad for people to step up, and, and that is... Uh, very much the call that comes our way today. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn, we're in Genesis chapter 18. And uh, so we started in 11 where things were bad. In 12, God calls Abraham and that call changes everything. In 13, we see a contrast between Abraham and Lot. Lot is selfish, got a scarcity mindset, is living for himself in the moment. Abraham is beginning to, to go in a very different direction. Skip Genesis 14 for a week, went to 15, what many consider the most important chapter in the Old Testament. Not just do we see God sort of swearing against himself uh, if he does not deliver on these promises, but we also see this idea of, of of reconciliation with God, salvation by, by, by faith, not by works. And then uh, last week we doubled back to Genesis 14. This is where we see the tithe for the first time. And I shared uh, what Sherry and I give, how much we give, why we give, how we think about all that. So we are now skipping Genesis 16, where Abraham and Sarah uh, try to promote plan B. Abraham has a child with Hagar, Sarah's a handmaiden that doesn't necessarily go that well. Uh, surprise, surprise. And then uh, in Genesis 17, Abram and Sarai have their names changed by God to Abraham and Sarah. We're skipping that. We're skipping the first part of Genesis 18, which is where Jesus makes a cameo appearance. So Jesus is God and he is eternal. He has always been God. Right, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. And nothing came into being apart from what Jesus created. There wasn't a moment before Jesus. He is eternal. Prior to the incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas, prior to Jesus humbling himself, and while remaining fully God, becoming fully Man adding humanity to deity prior to the incarnation, which he does in order to rescue us. Jesus exists in a pre-incarnate state 
But there are a few occasions where he shows up on earth. And in Genesis 18 is one of them. And uh, he shows up with a couple angels. And they meet with uh, Abraham and Sarah. And initially they just sort of knock on the door of the tent that is there. And Abraham and Sarah welcome them in. It's the famous Middle Eastern hospitality. Uh, if you've not been to the Middle East, my little, uh, my little coaching moment for you is uh, never eat all the food on your plate. Because if you do, they refill it. And, and as an American, you sort of feel, ob- I felt obligated for a while to then eat that food, and then they refilled it again. And no matter how many times I kept saying, no, I'm done, uh, their culture is, if, if the plate gets cleaned, you put more food on it, and you encourage your guests to keep eating. And so, uh, never eat all the food on your plate. But, but the people in the Middle East are very hospitable. They welcome in Jesus and the, and the two angels. And uh, a couple things happen in that meeting. One is um, Jesus informs Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a baby. This young couple, they're in their 90s. Uh, they're going to have a baby. And uh, Sarah's response is to laugh. And in Hebrew, the word laughter is Isaac. And Isaac was born sometime during the next year. So that uh, interchange happens. And then they start to talk about uh, the coming destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah is... um, uh, Often people think of Sodom and Gomorrah as being in trouble because of sexual uh, immorality, which is certainly the case. But... The bigger ding against Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, according to the later prophets, such as Ezekiel chapter 16, is their sin was, although they, quote, had uh, extra food and prosperous ease, they did not help the poor and needy. And so um, there is a cry to heaven by the poor and the needy. And uh, that cry goes out, and, and Jesus has shown up. And so we're going to pick up there, Genesis chapter 18, beginning with verse 16. When the men got up to leave, so this is Jesus and the angels, when they got up to leave, they looked uh, down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. So this is sort of uh, 4,000 uh, years ago. This is sort of the... Uh, uh, this is, excuse me, 4000 BC. This is sort of the equivalent of when we used to walk out the house and help people make sure that they, they knew the way to get to some place they knew, right? Before there was GPS, before you could just ask Siri, Siri, take me home. Uh, you would walk out after someone was at your house and you'd say, okay, you're going to go down this street to the end. You're going to turn left at the stop sign. You're going to go three blocks. You're going to turn left. You go a mile. You will see a sign for the highway. You have it, right? So you, you coached people so that they knew how to get where they were going. So this is what Abraham is doing. Verse 17, then the Lord said, uh, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Uh, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So apparently, Jesus says this loud enough for Abraham to hear. Verse 20, then the Lord said, 
the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what, what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained uh, standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him. And the technical term that's used here in Hebrew, approach, is it's like approaching a judge at the bench, or it, it's a word used in Psalm 73 to, to think of, in reference to prayer. So uh, Abraham approaches uh, God, Jesus. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So it's apparently pretty obvious to Abraham uh, that, that Sodom and Gomorrah is in trouble and their destruction seems inevitable. What if there are, this is Abraham speaking, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating uh, righteous and wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So Abraham is here um, interceding on on behalf of other people. It's the first time we have Abraham praying for other people. We have Abraham praying in the past. We don't have Abraham praying for other people. He intercedes. Particularly, he's interceding for the righteous. You've got to think he's thinking about his nephew Lot and Lot's family. But he also is interceding for um, the whole city. And, and this will be one of the things we see developed throughout the entire Old Testament. The, the care for widows and orphans, the care for the oppressed, the care for other people. So in Jeremiah 29, uh, there's, there's a couple shocking examples of this. Jeremiah 29 God instructs the Jews who are being held captive as prisoners in Babylon to pray and to work for the prosperity of Babylon. Care for, love your neighbors, think about the welfare of other people while you're slaves. And then we also have uh, in in, uh, Jonah... Jonah is sent to the Ninevites, who are the enemies. Jonah doesn't want to go. Famously, he tries to get away from, from carrying this out. And he continues at the end of the book. He wants God to send down fire and judgment on Nineveh. And God's like, what, what, are, you, what are you saying? Do you not see the people? We need to have care and compassion on people who don't know me, don't know God, and people who are oppressed. So, God responds to Abraham's plea, his intercession. God responds, verse 26, the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing um, but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Starts to feel a little bit like a, you know, bartering in Latin America for some piece of uh, tourist junk that you probably don't need. But uh, if I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, Abraham spoke up. What if only 40 righteous people are found? Uh, He said, God said, for the sake of uh, 40, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? God answered, I will not do it if I find 30. So Abraham's on a roll. He keeps going. 
Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? God said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham. He left and Abraham returned home. So the commentaries are quite divided on, uh, on why Abraham stops at 10. Some say uh, he figured, surely there are 10 righteous. Others say he realized it doesn't matter how low I go. <laughs> Even if there's one person, they're not going to be as righteous as they need to be. So there's some argument that 10 was the lowest number that would be recognized in this kind of a deal. Uh, there's some that say Abraham didn't stop. God is the one that walked away. We don't know. There are a few things, though, that we can note from this passage. Uh, I think it's important to note the importance of cities. And once you sort of clue in to God's care and concern for cities, you start to see it uh, a lot. In particular, seeing the need for the righteous in cities to be salt and light, very important. Uh, I think also it's worth noting that when Abraham is interacting with God, and we could think of this as prayer, when Abraham is praying to God, he appeals to God's character. He's bargaining with God, but he doesn't say, I'll do this if you'll do that, right? I'll do this. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you, right? And there's oftentimes, there's deals that we want to cut with God. Those don't actually, it doesn't work that way. But what Abraham does is he appeals to God's character and his mercy and his justice. Additionally, um, I think think that there are other things that we can see. Primarily, Abraham, who has been tapped by God as someone he's going to use, increasingly is becoming somebody who is others-focused. He becomes an intercessor. He becomes an advocate for those who need an advocate. And uh, I think it's not unfair to say Abraham begins at this point to start to act like Jesus, who is our advocate. He is our intercessor, right? We know from Hebrews, Jesus right now is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. And so, uh, not in every way, obviously, but but Abraham starts to act like Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that uh, that is a call that extends to us. So, um, there are other points that could perhaps be made, but, and there are other passages that perhaps make the whole REACH initiative a little bit more forcefully. Uh, if we go to the New Testament, we've got the great commission of, of taking the gospel, of taking the promise of Christ out. Uh, we've got the great commandment that we're to love our, our neighbors uh, as we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, we've got a lot of call to care for others and to be an advocate for others and to advance the kingdom of God in ways that are significant. But I want to say, I think that um, the whole Bible makes the point that we're to love God, serve others, and reach one. That's how we sort of characterize this. We're to love God, we're to serve others, we're to reach one. And, uh, And we have an opportunity now um, to step up and to do that. And we want to multiply the impact of the church. We want to we lean into being faithful stewards of the opportunities, the gifts, the abilities that we have. So 
Uh, I'm going to play a video here um, because I want you to see some of the comments, not Friday, this past Friday, but a week ago, we asked uh, leaders to come forward and to go first, making a, a commitment to the REACH initiative. And so uh, this is based on First Chronicles 29, where David and the leaders are the first ones to go in to, for the building of the first temple. And it, it was an encouragement, it was an example, all that. So we said, okay, so 100% of the staff, uh, ministry staff, elders, deacons, all made pledges and made them first. And uh, we captured some of that on video, and I want us to watch a little bit of that now. For us, the REACH commitment tonight really is an opportunity to hopefully help another family that was just like ours. Uh, we really hope that it's an opportunity for us to give back, uh, that we might be able to impact another family and in a community similarly to the way we were impacted. So we're really excited. REACH means to me the ability to share the truths of the gospel with people. So I'm very grateful for REACH. For us, tonight's commitment to REACH means we're making the decision for our family to prioritize Christ's work in our lives and community above our own plans or desires. We're excited to be a part of Christ's work through Christ's church and to see him move in our community and the community surrounding us for years to come. It's just an incredible time of worship tonight, people coming together. Mike brought us forward. It was a time to kind of consecrate ourselves and say, hey, Christ's church, we're ready to reach out. My name is Audrey, and I'm excited for REACH because I want to get in the game. REACH means to us, you can't outgive God. What REACH means for us is that we get to be the hands and feet of God. So we get to put some uh, a walk to our talk that we go through every Sunday morning with the uh, Crossroads Cove group. So it's just a lot, uh, a lot to us to be able to now go out and be God's children in a very impactful way in our communities. more families in the community and reach more uh, kids with the gospel and so we're excited to have that chance. Tonight as we were completing our card and praying about our gifts, I had the overwhelming thought that I hope that I can do more. Reach gives us the opportunity to give back to our community, to our church, to the people that have come alongside us and helped us so that we can come alongside other people and help them. We're so excited to be a part of REACH. As we were praying tonight, the word that came to me is sacrifice. Loving God, loving others, and giving of our time and talent and treasure. We've been at Christ Church for 20 years, and we've never felt more energized than we do now because of the initiative, and there's so many different ways to plug in, and it's just uh, a wide-open invitation. We're so excited to be here tonight. Uh, we know that uh, God has given us so many resources uh, that we're so blessed to have, and we want to be good stewards of those resources and reach is such a great way for, for us to give back uh, for all the beautiful things God has done in our lives. Tonight was commitment night, and Jenny and I have spent quite a bit of time praying and, and just uh, considering what God was calling us to do. I felt like we were crossing the Jordan because initially when we talked about it, um, it was scary. And we kept 
talking about it and going back into prayer. And now that we've stepped into the water, it's exciting.